In Mark chapter 4, verse 21, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel, or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. And he said, So is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring up and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching the parables. And these are what we call the kingdom parables. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The kingdom parables foretell the development of of Christianity leading up to the return of Christ. So what the Lord does in giving us the kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13 and in Mark chapter 4 is he shows us what's going to be happening among people who profess the faith. And we studied the parable of the sower. And in studying the parable of the sower, we got the key to unlocking all the other parables. Because Jesus told the disciples, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all parables? And so in the parable of the sower, Jesus told us that the field is the world, that the seed is the word, the gospel, the man that sows the seed is Christ, yes. that the fowl of the air, the birds of the air, they are the evil one which snatches away the word before it takes root. We talked about the wheat and the tares. We applied those same symbols to the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven was how sin infiltrates the entire lump, the entire movement, the entire church, if we allow it to be placed into the church. And so what we see from these parables, as you read the parables, you see that they're all leading up to the return of Christ, to Judgment Day, to the day of harvest. That's where we are going. That is what we are looking forward to. But as we get closer, things will get worse. The parable of the leaven. A woman took the leaven, put it into a lump of meal, into meal, and it leavenated the whole lump. It, it'll get to a point to where everywhere you look in Christianity, you will see corruption. And we're getting there. Last night, NFL draft has been going on this weekend. Anybody been following it? I have. I don't usually, but this year has been pretty interesting for me personally. Um... And I'm, I sent out a tweet on Twitter, just trying to be funny. I said, what if churches drafted preachers, seminary students, the way NFL teams draft players? I mean, think about it. The church on the edge of town, they've struggled for a few years. They need some new blood, right? They get first pick in the draft. They draft an undergrad student from Southwestern Theological Seminary. The big church downtown, they, they don't have a good draft pick because they're big and they're growing. 
but they want to move up so they can get a better staff member. So they trade a deacon and a youth director for the earlier pick, right? I'm just being funny. That's all I'm, I'm just, I'm just playing. But a friend of mine who works up in Dallas, he said, I wish they had 30 days scouting periods and combines and campus visits and everything else so we could root out the sexual predators. And then he deleted his comment because he didn't want to come across as attacking Christianity. But that's a problem. That's a problem. And it's a problem because we have a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing. And the Lord told us that these days were coming. And that's what the kingdom parables. And so if you know what these kingdom parables say, when you see a great leader of the faith who is compromised... That doesn't take you as a surprise because we knew that these days were coming. You pray for him. You want his healing. But we understand what Satan is doing. We understand what's going on in the kingdom. We understand the opposition. We understand what's going on. And that was the point of the kingdom parables because Jesus said it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. So when we study the parable of the wheat and tares, how does that end? They have harvest day. Right? And they cut everything down. They gather the tares into be burned. They gather the wheat into the barns. We get to the end of the kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13, and you've got the parable of the net, where they drag the net, and they bring up all the fish, and they separate the good fish from the bad fish. What's that? Judgment day. That's where we're headed with all these parables. In our passage today, we see three parables that remind us That judgment day is coming. And these parables teach us to be prepared for that day. The first parable we see in verses 21 through 23 is the parable of the candlestick. And that tells us that on judgment day, all will be revealed. Our true motivations, where our heart was, our true faith, what we really believe, will all be revealed. Nothing will be kept secret. So you need to mind what's going on in here as much as you mind what's on the outside. All right. In verses 24 and 25, we are told to take heed what you hear. Mm-hmm. Remember that, anybody else think about that little song you sing when you were a kid? Be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful little ears what you hear. Right. Because how's it go? The Lord up above is looking down with love. So be careful little ears what you hear. All right, so we don't want to hear somebody saying bad words and talking about bad things. But this word here, it means to listen to and to respond to, to take in what Jesus is telling us, is to be careful what teaching that we are following. Mm -hmm. And then we have the parable of the corn, is what I call it, in verses 26 through 29. And there's a lot you can say about that. But how does the parable of the corn end? The guy thrust his sickle into the ground, and we have a harvest. And so, judgment day is coming. We're to be prepared for that day. All will be revealed. Therefore, hear and know that that day is certain, and it's coming soon. All will be revealed. Verses 21 and 22. Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret but that it should come abroad. It's a candle brought to be put under a bushel. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
Mm -hmm. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. But we, we were having kids' songs today. <laughs> I should have brought a special. But immediately when you see, you know, candle under a bushel, you think of Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. When the Lord tells us in Matthew 5, 16, to let your light so shine before men. He said, a candle is not placed under a bushel, neither can a city that is on a hill be hid. He says in Matthew 5, 16, to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, let your light shine. That's the point of having a light, to shine it, to illuminate the room, to be able to see so that all can be revealed. Light illuminates. And if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, then your illumination should shine. You should illuminate. And your illumination should not only show the world who God is, but should also show the world the contrast between God and the world. Because our God is holy. Our God is loving. Our God is perfect and righteous and means good for all. But the world is not. The world is selfish. The world is evil. The world wants to conquer. It's the opposites. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. We look at Jesus and we see everything that we are not. We were told to let our lights show, so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Our good works should match the good works of the Father. And in so doing that, that should be a contrast between us and the rest of the world. And Jesus obeyed this commandment. He not only spoke it, but he obeyed it. In John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, Jesus said, This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. See, man loves darkness because darkness hides. Yeah. And man is emboldened, emboldened in the darkness. I used to work at a truck stop. Graveyard shift. There's stuff that went on that parking lot because people were emboldened by the cover of darkness. During the daytime, looked like a happy neighborhood convenience store. During the nighttime... It was the fifth ward of Houston, one of them. It was, it was bad. You see, Jesus Christ is the light that came into the world. John chapter 1 teaches us that. And Christ illuminated the hearts of men and revealed all to be what it is. He is sinless and perfect. He is above reproach. You cannot accuse Jesus of doing anything because he was so far above reproach. He's perfect. We are not. You see, the, you see the contradiction, the contrast of who Jesus is and who we are. I have issues. I have issues where I am dealing with 
I, I shouldn't have to deal with this. I shouldn't have to put up with this. This is wrong. I'm going to quit being the nice guy. And then I'm thinking about Jesus. And what all did Jesus put up with that he didn't have to put up with? Right? Am I really expected to give up my life for this? Jesus says, you want to ask that question again? All right. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was above reproach. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 24 talks about this. Peter wrote, Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile, that's deceit, found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. Peter wrote that Christ was sinless. There was no sin. He never disobeyed the Father. He never rebelled against the Father. There was no wrongfulness in him. He never did anything wrong to anybody. He never hurt anybody. He never misspoke about anybody. He never spoke badly about anybody. He didn't gossip about people behind their, behind their backs. Bible says there was no guile found in his mouth. That is deceit. Jesus spoke the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. He never spoke half-truth with the hope that you would get the wrong idea so that he could get by with something. Mankind, we do that a lot. I think that's about half of the legal profession is to figure out how to say something without saying it. You know, now, I never said that, but I'll let you believe it. See, Abraham, he told Pharaoh, Sarah's his sister. He didn't lie. Sarah was his half-sister. A lot of people don't know Abraham was from Arkansas. I'm sorry, I have to tell that joke every time I talk about Abraham. Sarah was his half-sister. What... Abraham didn't tell Pharaoh and he didn't tell Abimelech was that Sarah was also his wife. So he let Pharaoh and he let Abimelech think that Sarah was just his sister. Why? Because he's afraid that if he told them that she was his wife, they'd kill him and take her. By telling Pharaoh and Abimelech that Sarah was his sister... They would just take her and they'd let him stay alive. Y'all know Sarah was 80 years old when this conversation was going on? We're going to get to meet her someday. Yeah. And, and that story will make a lot of sense when, when yeah. we do. Abraham would rather lie and lose his wife than lose his life. There was guile found in Abraham's mouth. Jesus never spoke a half-truth. Never let anybody believe anything that wasn't true. No guile. No hidden agendas. No hidden motives. When he suffered, he threatened not. He did not respond to insults. With insults. He did not respond to hurts with threats. He was above board. He was so far above board that none of us can compare with his sinless perfection. And then he laid down his life for us. 
And through his stripes, we are healed. You see, it's easy for me to get angry with people and to say, you know what, I shouldn't have to put up with them. And Jesus tells me, I shouldn't have to put up with you. All right? I get to getting mad at my children because they won't do what I tell them to do. They don't give me the respect I think they ought to give me. They, they, they don't just instinctively know that they're supposed to do something. You know, it's, it's like, come on, man. And God says, <laughs> um, later on, there's a mirror in your bathroom. You ought to go look in it sometime. Right? But Christ is so far above board on all that. Christ is so far above the standard. He is perfect and we are not. And if you ever start to think that you're perfect, well, I never think I'm perfect. I'm humble. I'm proud of it. But if you've ever think that you've attained a high level of spirituality, compare yourself to Jesus. All right? You may be, you may be a lot better than that drunkard in the gutter. I'm not like him. I've made better life choices. Okay. Good for you. Will you die for the drunkard? You know? I'll tell you what. That woman that lives down the street, she's drama. She's always got these problems. And she creates the problems for herself. She can't make a good decision. So she's always got problems. And she always wants to tell me about the problems. And she always wants me to... This is a fictional woman, by the way. And she always wants me to solve the problems. I ain't, I ain't having her no more. What did Jesus do? <laughs> he put up with her. He, he, he endured. The Bible, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about he endured such contradictions against himself. We're not willing to do that. We see these people coming like, oh, I ain't got time for you today. Jesus had time. He, he got tired. I'm convinced next week we'll talk about the uh, time that he calmed the storms. I, I think he might have been a little tired and cranky in that story. But he endured. People today don't endure, right? Fathers walk out on the children. Wives walk out on the marriage. You know, people walk out on the church. Preachers walk out on the church. I mean, you have preachers that will walk out on a church because the church won't vote to change a superficial appearance of something that he thinks will make the church grow. And they just don't buy my vision. It's like, dude, it's not your vision that matters. You know, I mean, but this is rampant. And you know why it's rampant? It's because we're people. We're people. We are a bunch of children in a giant collective nursery arguing over the toy fire truck. <laughs> and we all think we deserve the fu I saw it first. That's who we are. At the end of the day. Now this may offend you. I don't mean to be offensive with this. I'm just telling you. That when you take all of our emotions and boil it down. There's something we won't. We don't have it. Therefore we're upset about it. That's, that's being human. That's flesh nature. That's sin nature. That's what it is. Christ wasn't like that. He was above that. So if you ever think that you have attained that high level of spirituality. Compare yourself to Jesus. And if you're, giving an, if you're giving an honest assessment, you will find that you don't measure up to who he is. 
And by the way, to get into heaven, he's your standard. Not these other people. I got issues. Jessica say, he's got issues. Except Jessica won't say he's got issues. Because Jessica don't want to talk about my issues. But I got issues. There's a cartoon character in the B movie. And he got mad one day. He goes, I got issues. You got issues. Y'all got issues. You don't talk about your issues, but you got issues. <sighs> issues. But you may say, well, I'm not as bad as this other person over here. I got issues, but I'm not on crack. The crack addict, he says, well, yeah, I've got issues with crack. I'm struggling with my personal demons. But I'm not in prison. The prisoner will say, yeah, I'm in prison, but it was only a third-degree felony. I'm up for parole in six months. I'm not like this guy that committed murder, and he's on death row. The guy on death row says, y'all don't know me. Right? So he's on death row, but he had a different hand of cards to deal than you did. And we're looking at each other, and we're finding people who are worse off than we are, or say, I'm not as bad off as this guy. I'm better than this guy. I've attained this higher level. That dude over there is not the standard. No. Your kids get in trouble. Like, why did you do this? He goes, well, and what do they do? They deflect. Mm -hmm. Other kid did so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Other kid's not your standard. Other guy is not your standard. The prison inmate is not your standard. Thank the Lord. The crack addict is not your standard. I am not your standard. You say, Brother Leland, he's got issues. I'm, at least I'm not as bad off as he is. <laughs> All right, I'm better than the preacher. The preacher is not your standard. No. Jesus is the standard. None of, us, none of us match up. And the thing is, deep down, deep down, we all know this. Because we know that Christ is the light of the world. And he shows all for what it is. And we don't want to think about that. And so in John chapter 3 verses 19 through 20. Jesus said this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved. Knowing our deeds will be revealed and reproved. We foolishly hide away from Christ. Sinners foolishly hide away from Christ. If I just don't think about it, it's not an issue. If I don't go to church, nobody will know I'm off. I knew a lady, she said, I can't go to church. I just, I can't stand to be in that presence. It just, it, it disturbs me. It, it bothers me. It, it scares me. I, I have a, a mental breakdown every time I go into a church. And I'm like... Why? She goes, just being around all the, all the, just, it just, I can't do it. She's not mad at hypocrites. She's not mad at Christians. She feels like, and this is something, this was a very interesting lady I met. She felt like by going into the church, she was entering into the presence of Christ. Wow, now what if we all had that mentality? Amen. But she was so far down that sinful road. In fact, she even thought she was haunted by demons. That she felt like going into a church would result in her death. And there was nothing I could tell her to help her. So what did she do? She hid from Christ. 
People don't want to go to church. They don't want to open the Bible. They don't want to learn what God's Word says. They don't want to compare themselves to Christ. Why? Because they'll know. They won't measure up. So they hide. How well did that work out for Adam and Eve? The day is coming when the judgment's going to happen. There won't be any hiding places that day. So the proper response is to repent, to turn to Christ, and to allow him to cleanse you and transform you. Jesus said in John 3.21, He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought, or that they are worked by God in God. That his deeds are godly. What does the sinner do? He comes to the light. The righteous man comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God, so that God can show this righteous man's deeds in contrast to the rest of the world and thus be glorified in them. But also that, this, that God can purify the deeds of this righteous man. Y'all know light has a purifying function to it? The city of Early built this brand new sewage treatment facility. Y'all know how many chemicals we use out there? Very little. We got these giant ponds and we separate the bad stuff from the water. We filter it and the water goes out in these ponds and it evaporates and we use it to water the hay fields and we're now selling the hay out of those fields. What purifies the water? The sunlight. They've got a way of purifying your mattress on your bed. They run it through this machine that shoots it with ultraviolet lights. And it kills all the little dust mites and stuff. Light has a purifying function to it. Jesus is the light of the world. He purifies. So knowing that the day is coming where everything about you is going to be revealed. Every motivation, every hidden agenda, every amount of deceit about you is going to be revealed. What should you do? You should be prepared. Yes. Repent. Trust the Lord for salvation. Live in submission to God. And keep that faith in your heart and let, your, and let that guide your lifestyle. Yes. Straighten your heart and motivations out and let your lifestyle be an expression of that. We need to quit trying to live on appearances. You ever buy a house or move into a house? And when you toured it and you looked at it and you bought it, it looked like a nice house. But as you get to living in there, you realize... That there were some things they just slapped a nice coat of paint over. Ever happen to y'all? All right. People live life like that. The termites are eating their house. But they're just slapping a fresh coat of paint and making it look good. The, um, the house is rotting. But they keep putting on more plaster to straighten it up. Just painting a pretty little picture. People live life like that. Their hearts, their souls, their lives are rotting from the inside out. But as long as they can put on a fresh suit, wash the face and comb the hair and put on a smile and say, hey, brother, how you doing? Everything's fine, but it's not. 
We need to quit living in the cosmetic world and start living in the real world. Amen. Let the faith transform us from the inside out. Yes. And God will be graceful on the day of judgment if you know his son as Savior. So be prepared for the coming judgment. Secondly, be careful what you hear. Verse 24, take heed what you hear yes. and with what measure ye meet and it shall be measured to you and unto you that hear shall more be given. The Lord wants you to hear. That means to listen. That means to learn. That means to believe and to do the thing that you have seen and heard and learned and believed. Yes. He wants you to hear his teaching. He wants you to learn his teaching. He wants you to understand his teaching. He wants you to believe his teaching. And he wants you to do his teaching. We preachers would say, to apply it to your lives. Take the word of God and apply it to your lives. I had a church member back at Denison Springs said, how do I do that? I'm like, I don't know. They ever told me about that before. You apply the word to your life by doing the word. By actually letting it change, by adjusting your lifestyle to what the Amen. word says. So hear, learn, believe, do. But in doing this, the Lord includes a warning. Take heed what you hear. Be careful what you're learning, what you're believing, what you're doing. Because there's a lot of false doctrine out there. And you can be destroyed by it. What was the false doctrine they were believing back in Jesus' day? They were believing that if they did the right works and they had that right cosmetic lifestyle, that they would be in the kingdom. That if they were in the Pharisees' club, that they were in God's club. That was the false doctrine. The Pharisees taught works for salvation. The Pharisees taught that you could live up to God's potential, that you could live up to God's expectation. And you must do that. If you do that, then you enter into the kingdom. That's what the Pharisees taught. And in response to that doctrine, Jesus said in verse 24, With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you. So if you think your works are going to get you into heaven, God's going to give you the courtesy of adding them up and seeing if you have a big enough balance. Okay, you, think, you, you have depended on your works to get you into heaven. Let's count them up. You know what? It ain't going to be enough. Because you're going to have a few deductions called sin which outweighs any good you, you've done. Yes. Take a man on trial for murder. Defense attorney says, yeah, he did it. But he also built an orphanage in Florida. That going to get him out of prison? Mm -mm. How many saints have we seen that fell and they got in trouble and they did something heinous? And they went to prison. It doesn't work in our legal system. Yes, Your Honor. Brother Leland pastored a church, served on the city council, raised seven kids. Yeah, but Brother Leland did this horrible thing. He's got to pay the price for that crime. Right? It doesn't work in the secular world. Sometimes you see certain privileged people that get their charges dropped. But there's an outcry of injustice, right? Right? That prosecutor shouldn't have dropped the charges. That judge let the killer walk. But we, that's, we direct our anger toward the prosecutor and the judge in those situations, don't we? That's an unrighteous judge. Our God is not an unrighteous judge. He's a righteous judge. He's going to apply the law. And the law says if you sin, you're guilty. 
And the only way to cancel out that guilt is to have the price for your sin paid for, which Jesus Christ did on the cross. Be careful what you hear. Learn, believe, love, and live true doctrine, God's word. If you do, you'll be prepared for judgment day. And by the way, doctrine is not the all-you-can-eat buffet at Golden Corral. I love the Golden Corral. It's a little expensive for me now. But back when I was a kid and my grandfather paid, I loved the Golden Corral. Because they put all that food out there, and you can pick what you want. Right? I like fried chicken. I like steak. I like macaroni. I like mashed potatoes. I like yeast rolls. I go to the Golden Corral, and I'm having steak and fried chicken and fried shrimp and mashed potatoes and yeast rolls and macaroni. I have no idea why I have a weight problem. I've talked to the doctor. He can't explain it. But, you know, they also have on the buffet salad and broccoli and vegetables. I just, but I don't want salad and broccoli and vegetables. I want steak and fried chicken and catfish and shrimp and all the, you, you see what I'm saying? So what do I do? I go pick out what I like. My kids like the chocolate fountain. Like if we went, if we went to Golden Corral, we experimented on this. We went to Washington, D.C., and we walked that entire Washington Mall, the National Mall, front and back, it's 3.1 miles from Arlington Cemetery to the Capitol. You walk that there and back 6.2 miles, but then you add in all the zigzags going through all the different monuments. We probably walked 10 miles that day. Kids were tired. We took them to Golden Corral. And, and normally we have a rule. You know, you have to get you a vegetable. This, that day we had no rules. Kids, you did well today. You're worn out. Just enjoy yourself. A couple of our kids spent their entire day at that chocolate fountain. Doctrine's not like that. You can't say, well, I like this doctrine, but not that doctrine. So I'm taking this doctrine, I'm rejecting that doctrine. No. The doctrine of God is in his scriptures. And all the doctrine of the Bible, everything the Bible teaches, you have to accept it. Which means I have to eat my broccoli. I have to have a salad. I have to have some coleslaw and some, and some cauliflower and some cabbage. Ugh. But that's the food. But on the doctrine, you have to accept all of it. Yes. You don't get to say, well, this teaching over here, I like that better, so I'm rolling with that. Now, there is one truth. Right. you got to roll with that. So, we are told that all will be revealed. We are told to hear and believe God's teachings and to apply them. And finally, we are told that the judgment will be certain. Verses 26 through 29, so is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ground. What's Jesus doing here? He's talking about things the disciples know about. He's talking about sowing seed, planting, cultivating, growing. Everybody that Jesus talked to knew what, knew what wheat looked like when it was springing up out of the ground. 
Now, in the King James Bible, he's translated this to corn. The corn they had is not like the corn we have. But I know what the, the corn we have, I know what that looks like when it springs up out of the ground. I know what it looks like when it's got those ears and when the corn is in it, when, the, when it takes full. When the fruit, verse 29, is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now I can sit here and we can talk about the theological impact of the sprout that springs forth in the ear and all that. We're going to just take what Jesus says at face value. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying that if a farmer goes out and sows seed and grows a crop, when that crop comes to maturity, what's that farmer going to do? He's going to harvest it. There is nothing more foolish than sowing seed, growing a crop, and letting it rot in the field. Okay. Jessica and I were driving through around McGregor one day, and they had all this corn out there, and the corn had just died. All of it had turned brown. We're not farmers. Um, JJ grew some pumpkins behind the house. He had learned that if he planted the seeds underneath the dryer vent, that the plants respond to the heat. So we thought we'd grow some watermelons. That lasted until we had some additional occupants in the backyard who had a little bit of fun in the garden. But anyway, what I'm saying is we don't even know agriculture. That's what I'm saying. But I can tell you when a crop dies in the field, and I can tell you that that's a bad thing. So you see a man plant a crop, grow a crop. You know that when the crop is full, you know he is going to harvest it. It's not if he's going to harvest it. Will he harvest it? Might he harvest it? He's going to harvest it. And you know when he's going to harvest it? When the fields are white in the harvest. You drive up to Lubbock. And you get up northwest of Snyder. And all of a sudden you're surrounded by white. Like man, was there a blizzard up here or something? No, that's cotton. And when those fields are white, you know what they're about to do? They're going to get on their John Deere tractor. Well, it might be a Massey Ferguson. I don't know what the guy has. But he's going to get on his tractor. He's going to drive through that field. And they're going to harvest that stuff. Yeah. It's a given. It's certain. And that's what the Lord is saying. That his coming and his judgment are as certain as a man harvesting the grain that he's planting. Know that that day is coming. Know that the seed has been sown. Know that the crop is growing up. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 that the fields are white in the harvest. Know that it is almost harvest time. And know that harvest day is about to happen. And harvest day is certain. Just as certain as you know that they're going to harvest that cotton that's growing up in the Texas panhandle. Our judgment day, our harvest day is certain. So that brings a couple of questions. Number one, are you prepared for that day? Are you prepared to enter into the Lord's kingdom? Are you prepared spiritually to face him in judgment? That's the first question. Are you prepared to stand before the Lord in, when he judges? Are you prepared? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that he paid the price for your sins on the cross? Have you turned from those? Do you have that peace with God? Are you prepared for judgment day? And the second thing we come from that, we take from that, is judgment day is coming. Harvest day is coming. Those guys, when they're harvesting the corn, they're harvesting the wheat, they're harvesting the cotton, 
they ain't crying. They're finally going to get paid. The only, the only time you see somebody harvesting and crying is if there's nothing out there to harvest. But as long as there's a harvest, there's joy. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're prepared for that day, then you can look forward to that day, knowing that one day you will enter into the Lord's presence. And the trials and tribulations of this world will be a distant memory. Yes. Let us stand.